Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's your buddy Gavin, filibuster freestyle. Hope you're doing well. Um, our buddy Jeremy Johnson is joining us very shortly. It's June 6th, it's a Saturday. We typically have been doing kitchen quarantine on Friday nights, but Jeremy and I, uh, schedule-wise, um, you know, best we could do is Saturday afternoon. So anyway, we're looking forward to doing that. Uh, we'll get into that later. But first, um, made a few comments on this last week as the George Floyd protests were beginning to heat up. Check out the back half of Kitchen Quarantine Part 10 if you'd like to hear more about what we said last week. But before bringing Jeremy on, before the theme song, I do think it's important to not only talk about and come out against you know, systemic racism, uh, systemic injustice, and the fact that black lives matter, um, which is all very true, And as Michael Jordan said in a statement today, saying black lives matter should not be a controversial statement. Um, I saw another great sign today, and I'm paraphrasing, but it says, we said black lives matter, not only black lives matter. We know that all lives matter, but right now we're having trouble getting essentially the black lives matter part, right? Because black lives are the ones that are in danger. And so that's where we need the help. And again, I paraphrase what the sign and the message was, but that's the message. More important or equally as important, but moving forward, more important than just saying that, which is important to say, it's important to try to commit to doing your part to making change every day. And making change to systemic injustice and making change in terms of the fight against racism and in supporting anti-racism, not being passive. So um, I've been privy to some information um, from a a local college and their center for um, social justice and civic engagement. And, you know, the five commitments that that they're putting out there for people to embrace as part of being a change agent are the following. And so I want to put this out there, then we'll hit the theme song and obviously we'll bring Jeremy in. And I think some of our conversation today won't just be about cooking again. There may be some more touching on some of the protests and some of the things that are going on in the nation uh, as he's been seeing it and tracking it on the West Coast. Anyway, five commitments to making change to systemic injustice and racism today and every day are as follows. Again, from the Center of Justice and Civic Engagement that I've been following here locally. Number one, vote and encourage others to vote if they're eligible. Number two, advocate for anti-racist policies by reaching out to your elected representatives and encouraging them to embrace and pass anti-racist policies. Educate yourself and educate others on systemic racism. Number four, donate to anti-racist organizations and or those which are committed to fighting for just social justice and civil liberties. And I'll be honest, I started doing this in 2017 when the current president, the United States took office, and this week I actually doubled down and became a sustaining monthly member of a second such organization. And if you can't donate, signal boost or amplify the causes of those organizations so that others can learn about them, and hopefully some of those others will be able to donate and support anti-racist organizations. Finally, checking with friends and loved ones who have been adversely impacted by racially charged attacks and systemic oppression and racism. And those are five things that we can do each and every day. And you don't have to do every single one of them every single day. Some of us can't do every single one of them every single day. But my guess is everybody can do at least one of them every single day. And I can definitely speak for myself, which is to say that if I do one of those things every single day, 
I will be doing more than I used to be. And if, if everybody who wants to help make change does that, then in theory, positive momentum will happen. So much more to come, but really wanted to make sure you put that out there. Um, not only in condemning systemic racism and injustice, but more important, again, sorry, I keep saying more importantly, but equally as important and more important to actually make change is to give you some commitments to think about. Um, all right, here comes the theme song, Filibuster Freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster Watch freestyle. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster, freestyle, filibuster freestyle. It's the filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is a treat because Jeremy Johnson is joining us from the car and just feels good to say that. You know what I mean? Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah, uh, a shred of normalcy, almost. Yeah, so kitchen quarantine, but more importantly, filibuster freestyle in terms of we, we've had Jeremy on well before we started doing kitchen quarantine, and today we're probably not going to do, as I've already mentioned before the theme song, as much kitchen quarantine as we've been doing the last 10 weeks, and that's okay. But the good news is Jeremy went golfing today for the first time, I'd imagine, in, in an an inordinate amount of time. So how is the nine-hole course, JJ? Let's start there, and we'll work our way around after that. It, it was great. Really beautiful morning. And um, I went with an old friend of mine, and I haven't played in years, plural, and I was never very good in the first place. I had just gotten good enough to be disappointed by my scores when I kind of got tired of playing. Sure. And um, I went out there, and I, I hit some good shots, and I spent some time outside and had a couple laughs. And and uh, it, because it was a nine-hole course, it only takes a couple hours, you know. Jeremy, one of the part. oh, sorry, but one of the things I was going to say is, and I'd like to get your take on it. I feel like there should be an option to play thirteen holes, and here's why: uh, eighteen holes is too much, and nine holes it takes you four or five to get used to it. <laughs> So then you play pretty well, and then you're done. Um, so I always felt like a 13-hole option would be fantastic. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. There's actually a course near here that up until um, maybe 10 years ago, it was 15 holes. Smart. And you would have loved it. You know, it was, I would uh, It was great. And it was like it was a kind of course where you really have to pack a helmet because there's the fairways all kind of face each other in the middle, and it was, <laughs> there's a lot of balls flying everywhere. No doubt. And um, <laughs> then they added the three holes and made it an 18, and you you turn the you make the turn into onto the the 16th hole, and you're like, whoa, are we at a different course? It's just this massive course all of a sudden. Nice. Hey, you just stumbled into a um, fake band name of the week, Pack a Helmet. Pack a helmet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're like a German industrial rock band, and they are dope. Uh, all right, so listen, real quickly again, last week you were going camping with the family, and you gave us a lot of really good insight on how to do that, so let's get a recap. How'd that go? It went well. Um, we, um, you know, a 24-hour camping trip with a small family is a, an exercise in balance and uh, trying to have this idyllic, peaceful experience, but also facing the logistical reality of packing up and moving 100 miles and then sleeping on the hard ground and coming back in the same day, basically. And um, we ended up scrapping together enough of those beautiful, quiet moments to make it feel like it was worth it. Nice. And uh, food-wise, we made a, I made a really nice meal, and um, 
then, you know, we, I followed on the internet with my almost strong enough cell signal, um, my neighborhood being, you know, devolving into chaos and looting and, uh, and violence. So it was really a, a very bizarre feeling being, uh, there, but the food was great. Yeah. Completely kicked butt on, uh, I, I talked to you about parboiling a lot and, uh, and foil packs and stuff. And what I did on, um, you know, the 24 hour trip, you can't be spending six hours making a cooking fire. And you also can't, um, you can't be spending all night trying to cook food over that fire. So I, I brought the charcoal in the chimney and I, I laid down a couple beds of coals next to the fire. And I, I, uh, prepped the night before I boiled some small potatoes and made a double lined foil pack with butter and salt and all that. And then I, uh, I did the same with some sausages and I wrapped some salmon in foil and just placed that directly on the coals and cooked some broccolini directly over the fire and, and really had a real nice meal with a bunch of different flavors and, um, and it wasn't like a big scramble. I still, you know, you got to feed the kids on a schedule. And if she, if dinner becomes too late, then the whole night might crash and burn. And I was able to get dinner on the table by six, which is kind of the end of the safe zone. So I really, uh, I really did enjoy that part. It was very nice to cook out over the fire. And then that was also right around when I started getting my phone started buzzing um, yeah. with what was going on. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a good segue, but I'm glad, that, I'm glad the trip went well. And like I said earlier in the pre-show, anybody who wants to listen to how to prepare to go camping and some hacks can listen to Kitchen Quarantine episode 10. And JJ really breaks it down, um, you know, spectacularly and in very good detail. So glad the trip went well. I can totally understand that, that, whether you're in, in nature or in your home, last weekend and the following week that we just had, um, we've had a second, a second kind of crisis come to head. This one, not so much a health crisis, but just a crisis of conscience, uh, really kind of in, in terms of social justice, in terms of systemic racism, and in terms of all kinds of things that we're going to get into. Um, before we do, JJ, I want to talk about places listening because it's actually pertinent to how we ended last week's podcast, okay? Yeah. So last week at some point, you know, whatever, 25 minutes in or so, we decided to, you know, tell everybody, hey, if, you're, if you don't want to hear anything besides food talk, we're done with food talk. And we got into some of the George Floyd murder stuff and, and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of things that have continued to be on the front pages of every, you know, newspaper or website in the next week. What happened is um, we talked about that, and then I noticed that some of the places listening went back to some of the interesting places that like to listen to Jeremy and I when we talk about certain things. Um, so when we talk about cooking, we don't get listens from some of these places. When we talk about things like uh, systemic racism, uh, we do. So anyway, places listening. <laughs> uh, Paris, France, the United States of America, the UK, Australia, number five out of nowhere, Russia, um, Germany, Brazil, South Korea, still no North Korea, um, Spain, the Philippines, Canada, Egypt. Okay, I'm getting to the good part, JJ. Uh, a, a nice, interesting listen out of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I think a first or second time there. Thank you for listening. But the next two are interesting, the Ukraine 
And then finally, a place that is listed by SoundCloud as undefined country. Hmm. What the frig does that mean? Antarctica. Well, somebody in an undefined country listen, which means it's either Antarctica, it's North Korea, it's the aliens, or it's some clandestine kind of police service monitoring service. So either way, we set a new record this week, and I just wanted to say thank you to JJ for helping us do it. That's amazing. And as always, Nostrovia and Dasvidania to our friends. Okay. Um, you know, the thing with the protests is, um, at least here, there's so many of them. Yeah. And um, they're, they're morning, noon, and night, and they're every day. And, um, you know, normally in this city, the difference between making a left turn or a right turn or taking one exit over the other can be a very... Um, time-consuming choice um, if you make the wrong one. And I think that that's kind of where I've settled into with following the protests, which I I fully um, support, by the way, and I'm not sure what the news outside of Los Angeles is saying, but other than two nights where the police basically allowed looting, um, it's been really quite beautiful here. Um, Maybe some, some, you know, foreign objects being thrown at police towards the end of the night um, in some isolated or semi-isolated moments. But for the most part, there's like 20 protests planned for today, and they just pop up all over town. There's 200 here, there's 1,000 there, 500 here. The one downtown always gets pretty big. The one in Hollywood always gets pretty big. But it's really really amazing, and it's analogous to wildfire in the way that the little hot spots kind of pop up, and you know, for if you're trying to go about your life and uh, and not get drawn into a potential uh, skirmish or a police action because they are still rounding people up and throwing them on buses and bringing them to, you know, kind of outside town and punishing them for, you know, not listening to them about dispersing. Um, it's good to know where things are happening. And the, yeah. the, the way I've been able to track it is really... Um, a combination of Twitter and um, the Citizen app and a little bit of Instagram. And um, it's it's made me feel a little settled. You know, those first two days, it was really, I don't know what it was like in Boston, but it was really dodgy. Like, it, it was crime. It was the purge. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was hard to, it was like, it was hard to keep up. And I was out of town, and then I'm driving into town on Monday, and, I got two texts in a row saying you shouldn't come back here. It's getting a bad tonight. And then I um, got like a, you know, the emergency alert on my phone announcing countywide curfew again. You know, I had the anxiety bubbling up in my chest and I was like, you know, God damn it. I was kind of hoping, you know, a similar analogy to the wildfire. I was kind of hoping that it was kind of going to be like a backburn where the crime would occur in an area, the looting, and then they wouldn't come back to this area because it had already been hit. Yeah, and um, I'm driving back into town. I'm like, oh my god, there's another protest in the neighborhood. There's one for tomorrow morning. All the stores were boarding up with plywood, and um, I felt really uncomfortable because I, I didn't have um, awareness of the situation on the ground. So I've been able to find, a, you know, a, a form of comfort in terms of trying to operate as a man with a family and um, not someone that can participate in protesting all day long or even. Uh, semi-regularly and um, 
it's by searching your local hashtags on Twitter, you know, finding your police scanner uh, accounts. There's people that do, they relay the police scanner over Twitter and amplify it. Oh, wow. And um, there's, you know, in our area, I've got like a half a dozen that I follow that cover, you know, parts of my zip code and my general um, area. And that's really helpful because they, they provide some context, a little bit of a synopsis of what's going on on the radio chatter so it's not very you know it's not exact radio chatter it's um them translating it for the rest of us yes and i found that really helpful and the citizen app it was what really made me like start to breathe a little easier because i you know it's got like the halo around your location and if something occurs in your you know one and a half mile radius you get a little notification on your phone or your watch okay and um or both, and then also you can click on the um, the incidents that are getting a lot of radio chatter all around the city, and you click on it, and there's live video and videos shot from people on the scene, so you can get a feel for how it's going and what's going on, and um, you know, and, and and like little updates on how peaceful it is, and you know, like the other night, for instance, there was a um, there was a skirmish. The protest downtown got split into two intentionally by the police. They were trying to break a crowd of about 12,000 into two groups. Yep. And um, the smaller the smaller group to the south ended up in a situation where there was a lot of stuff being thrown at the cops um, on a line that the police had tried to establish to funnel them to a different direction. And, you know, I had a friend that was at the protest, and I knew they were at the protest because of um, the app. Got and it. I texted them and said, you know, stay away from seventh and you know spring, or it was third and spring. Um, there's like a, a you know a little battle there. He's like, I'm over here at this area. Thank you. It's super peaceful here. You know, so there are ways that we can use the great big machine, whether you're in the protest or um, just trying to plot your way across town to avoid more volatile um, situations where things get violent or a little out of control. Mm. Helpful. Very helpful. It helps, and it helps the, you, even if you're outside of the whole thing, just to, it really helps me to kind of know what's going on around me so I can have like a threat level, you know, sure. orange, green, whatever. Yeah, 100%. I mean, our, you know, it's funny, you know, you know how Boston is, um, you know, different neighborhoods sound similar, right? So like South Boston, Southie, the South End, right? So South Boston right. and Southie are the same thing. The South End is something different. They're not too far away from each other, but they're not the same neighborhood by any stretch. And you've got to go through a lot of kind of industrial spots to get to get it between them. So, you know, on like Monday morning, I think somebody at work emailed me and just said, hey, I hope you're okay. I heard your neighborhood got like crushed last night. And I was like, well, no, <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. Um, but but again, I think there are, you know, people people do worry. And that's a good thing people should be doing right now is checking in with people in general. Um, but, you know, again, it's I think it's uh, it's really nice to know there's an app out there where, you can kind of set your parameters and kind of know what is coming in to quote your bubble or your radius and kind of be able to prepare for it. And again, whether it's someone like yourself who has a young family or someone like my wife who needs to commute to the hospital every other day to go to work and, and you know, she needs to drive through downtown Boston to get home or, or she can take the highway, which makes no sense, but it does if there's a protest in the middle of downtown Boston. So the ability to know what's happening and where is 
great if you are in it or you want to keep tabs on people to help them be safe. It's also great if you literally need to avoid it because you have a three-year-old daughter or you are working at the hospital, you know? So um, it's good to be able to be aware of what's happening for all those reasons. Yeah. It's fascinating that uh, the police can't even stop beating people at a, um, you know, a protest or movement against police brutality. They can't even, like, pretend, you know? Yeah, the, the irony is that the self-awareness of, oh, I'll turn my body camera off and I can't get in trouble. But the problem is everybody in the world has a body camera now. It's called a cell phone. And yeah. uh, you have no idea who is filming you in, in a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. So as a lot of people have been saying, you would be naive to think this hasn't been going on for 150 plus years. But now the technology is there to to with you know you, you can't deny what's what's being broadcast live on Twitter or Instagram. Will, Will Smith had the, the quote early where he said this is the same as it's ever been you're just now like seeing it because right. it's being recorded. It's on camera now, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And so for instance, you know, any anything that's ever happened, good, bad or indifferent, you know, you couldn't document it this way 10 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago. And to Will Smith's point, welcome to, welcome to what's been going on. You're, you're now being exposed. And to Jeremy's point, you would think that if you were under the, the quote, microscope, you wouldn't keep resorting to the, like to Jeremy just said, the exact same thing you're being accused of doing and just doing it and doing yeah. it and doing it over and over and over again and, and, and expecting a different result. The, the unfortunate thing with you know everything right now but specifically this is um there there's a lot of uh, versions to every story and every situation and uh pretty much every viewpoint in these protests looting you know violence police violence racism uh, white supremacists being institution you know put into institutions and allowed to grow and thrive um it's all really true and um, at the same time, uh, every every protest that occurs is um, a set of uh, interactions and actions, and some of them are um, support the fact that most cops are pretty decent guys. Um, some of them, some of those same protests support the fact that there are um, a lot of police officers who take pride in being white supremacists and um, thinking less of uh, blacks and um, that there are criminals that are outside agitators, quote-unquote, who are causing the violence, and also the police are causing the violence. That's also true, both. There's probably some organized uh, assets at the, the spook level, whatever nation we're dealing with, or the, the organized militia, proud boy-type people causing problems. Also, there could be people that have dark skin that are causing trouble, Um it's really a situation where to anyone who tries to define it in a sentence or two uh, and sticks to that yeah. uh, loses all credibility to me because there's such raw dynamic situations and you know we've become really used to being like an AB society you're, you're, you're Democrat or Republican you're, you're black or white you're a Yankees fan or Red Sox fan you're you know like 
yep. life doesn't work like that. And um, it's bothered me more and more as years have gone on how we become, we've become so binary. Yeah. And these people that try to sum up what's going on um, in a tidy manner are really um, missing my the point and my attention completely. I have no interest in hearing any of that. It's a hard conversation. And, uh, you know, we, we, I really believe that our, our nation's police forces have been, um, infiltrated by white, organized white supremacist groups. And, um, I believe that, um, our, our police funding and training is, um, keeps progressing to another profitable wing of the military industrial complex. Mm. Um, it's just another revenue stream for those, uh, those companies and, um, that industry. Yeah. And they spend a lot of money on bullets in the LAPD, for instance. Yep. And they train to shoot, 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 shoot. And it's all covered. I mean, literally millions of dollars. The police budget for the city of Los Angeles is in the billions. It's 52% of the city budget. Um, which is insane. Right. And it's not like they're just spending that money with men on the ground. Like they are buying equipment from the department of defense. They're buying ammunition They're Well, yeah, let's think about the, uh, I've seen a bunch of really good memes out there or gifts, whatever memes, you know, you've got a nurse or a medical professional standing in a trash bag that they made into a, a, a PPE. And then you've got a police officer in riot gear and the fact that that riot gear would buy 31 health professionals, proper PPE. And we're wondering, you know, one, why we can't solve COVID? Well, all of our money is in the military industrial complex. And two, why can't we solve, you know, systemic and widespread inequity and racism? Well, because we're, we're bankrolling the hell out of it like it's a military force when it's supposed to be a municipal police force. Yes, we are... Um we live in a fascist state, Gavin. Well, certainly... We are now, we are now yep. fascists. Well, co- well, we are a corporate-sponsored fascism. Um, but we have pretty much turned the, uh, turned the corner in the last three years. A lot of things that already occurred before our current presidential administration arrived. Um, there's a lot of build-up to this moment these moments but our focus as a society has shifted in our acceptance of um, brutality and uh, and violence has shifted and we now um, live in I, I mean we hit the check we hit the checklist and there's a war going on cultural war and that you know and maybe it'll work out but maybe we'll we'll rubber band in the other direction and maybe things will be better. But at this point, we live in a police state. We need fewer interactions between the public and police. We need more, um, we, we need more of everything and less of everything. It's really a mess. But right. Well, it's the skewed, you know, we, we need less of what we have too much of and we need more of what we have too little of. And, and the ability to, to divert those resources is incredibly complex. Um, you know, like look at the, Look at the, um, the the disparity or the, you know, like, for instance, okay, we talk about this. This is going on a little bit of a sideways, JJ, but I think it's app- applicable. You know, so you're a member of the Teamsters, right? You're in a union. You're in two unions, I yeah. think, right? Okay. I am, yeah. So, so you and I have talked many times in the show about how, you know, the 
obviously the powers that be want to bust up unions and, and divide us because of how strong unions can be, right? And, and, and that's completely true. And then you see what happens when the mayor of Los Angeles or the mayor of New York City is basically af- afraid of the, the police industrial state, um, which, by the way, again, it's that's basis is an incredibly strong, unbreakable, quote, union. Now, you don't want only unions like that to exist, but it shows you how strong a group of people can be if they're if they are bound together. And so it, it basically in a microcosm shows you that we need more unions in places where there aren't any and that you can't have unchecked power to the point where a municipal force doesn't have to listen to the executive director of that municipality. You know what I mean? So yeah. to your point, we need more of everything and we need less of everything. And it's really hard to divert more to less and less to more, but that's exactly what has to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's wild. It, yeah, man, it's like, it's just a bleeping mess. And um, I'm, I'm overwhelmed and inspired by the stamina of the protests. It is the perfect storm. And, um, you know, the, the kids that are out there, the youth, yeah, I just, I'm so happy for them. I'm so proud of them as a generation. The millennials have been much maligned and... Um, they're out there and lampooned and they're out there and you know they're getting after it and they've been raised in a world of uh you know being nice to each other and uh training for school shootings and and you know accepting different uh cultures and different um sexualities and preferences right and and being exposed to the world through their screens and being desensitized and being you know being told that everything's their fault and they're killing everything and just being on the, on the wrong end of the stick of this society that's in a late stage of capitalist fascism. And, you know, is that a real turning point here? And, and if we're looking at, um, a generation of protesters who they cut their teeth, um, standing up for themselves and, um, are willing to fight for a better quality of life, we might stand a chance in this thing. Well, yeah. You know what's funny, JJ? I just had this thought as you were talking about it. You know, we, we've compl- we've maligned millennials for a long time for um, being the children of the everybody gets a trophy era, right? But with that everybody gets a trophy, everybody is valuable upbringing, to your point, it actually might be a chance to defeat fascism because, one, all these people have lost their jobs because thanks thanks to the government not reacting to coronavirus on time, you know, 35 million people lost their jobs, and most of them, you know, you know, if not disproportionately of color, uh, certainly people who are younger, newer in the work, workforce, gig economy folks, um, you know, they lost their jobs. They're, they're young enough to most of them not get sick from the coronavirus to a point where they're being intubated, and they're mad as hell, and they actually do have sympathy and empathy, especially in the force of blatant fascism in the past five days. And so to your point, maybe this is the beginning of their moment because guess what? Like you and I are just outside of the millennial realm. We're at the bottom, we're at the bottom of Gen X in terms of, you know, the youngest Gen Xers. But you know, my, my wife and maybe yours are technically the oldest millennials, but you know, millennials aren't, millennials aren't 19 years old anymore. Everybody millennials are 28. So it's their world uh, in terms of like now not going to be their world. And and I, I do hope that, 
if no one's got a job to go to on Monday, they can keep protesting. And that's a little bit of what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, exactly. They keep protesting, and everybody's still on enhanced unemployment benefits or some form of state support. And a lot of these millennials are suffering from failure to launch anyway because the world is rigged against them financially, and uh, they can't get a good job, and they're in debt, and they're living with their parents. So they're like, yeah. Let's go out. It's fine. Absolutely. Let's go. Let's go protest. This is what I do. I do this for a living now. I'll, I'll schedule the whole city out. You got to cover your shift. You're, you've got Wednesday afternoon, you know? Right. Well, the other thing, JJ, um, you met, you mentioned is that they were raised, they were raised in and on technology, right? So, so the ability to utilize what is happening in the streets and to get that out to a larger audience has one never been easier. And the people who are really great at it and most fluent at it are the people who are in it. And, that is going to just any boomer or any Gen X or any hardliner just doesn't have that savvy to even anticipate what those people. You can don't even do. know where the protest is going to be unless you know what you're doing. Correct. Like there was one, like you know, my mother's like, you know, I don't even know. She wants, she's considering attending one. She's like, I don't even know when they are. Like, I don't even know how to find that out. Right. It's because this information is being passed hand to hand, text to text. Yep. Twitter. Hashtag riding, you know, like there's yep. some really good information out there on timelines and and hashtags. Yeah, and it's like even for me, who like I'm I'm pretty savvy with the with the media and with social media and um, all of that. I, I like it took me it took me a few hours to really kind of wrap my head around this situation. Like I'm like, well, where's the website? You know, like well. Don't even. Like, where's the Twitter announcement? It's Don't not an announcement. One. It's like it's like call and answer. Somebody just kind of says answer. it, and it starts getting amplified out over the web. Yeah. And next, thing you know, everyone knows where it's going to be. And then I get a text message. It says like, "There's four four protests today. These are the times and places." And it's like, "Yeah, this isn't in the newspaper, man. Right? It's not on the news. Right? And this so- is like happening. Like it's like echoes in the hallway. You know? Right? And so again." Thanks to coronavirus, COVID-19, all these people who are either struggling to, to launch or struggling to make a living or struggling to pay their loans or struggling to go to work every Monday morning and work for the man and make a few bucks to pay back their loans, they all are just, everything we just talked about, they're using all those talents on this instead. So look, let's just, let me, you know, let me solve this thing. Oh, okay. Right here. All right. And now nothing's going to solve everything 100%, but let's just, let's, yeah, you know, let's it's like you're, it. you're curling, you know, you're, you've become an expert in curling every four years. Correct. You understand, you, you, you kind of you push the stone down and, you, and you, you push the broom or you don't push the broom and you try to aim it and make it faster and all that. Anything that starts with a curling analogy, I'm all ears for. Let's go. So you're trying to get it close to the target in the center, but, you know, sometimes you get three points or five points and you're, you're happy with that. Um, we need a universal living wage based on cost of living in your area. Right. So LA would be different than North Carolina. Makes total sense. Exactly. Okay. There's one. Um, number two, we need police officers to be licensed like, um, cosmetologists or nurses or doctors or lawyers. Um, there needs to be a, a license that you get to practice law enforcement that you could lose if you um, if you have malpractice, basically. Got it. Okay. Um, 
And we need universal health care. So there's a, there's a safety net for um, people financially. Sure. Um, so that if you get sick or break your arm, you don't potentially ruin the next 10 years of your life or more financially. Um, and, uh, yeah. That, that's a good start. That's a really good start. Okay. Because then we could, we could actually begin to address some of the inequality that's occurring because it's all about the money, as always. It's all about but, the money. That, that's, Jeremy, that's Jeremy's catchphrase for the first four years of this podcast. It's all about the money. And he's not wrong. The, then you, you can really start to fine-tune it. I don't know if we're going to be able to change the, uh, the minds and behaviors of the, the, white, the white man racist that exists all across this country. Um, I think that some of the doxing and some of the shaming might help a little bit, might spook some of the, um, the quieter ones, but there's a certain arrogance to the American white racist that's been emboldened by the, our leadership. Yep. Um, that I don't think there's any point in trying to shout them down right now. I think it's just time to move forward with or without them. Right. And, um, you see it in the communication from, you know, corporations and they're trying to, um, they're trying to play nice now and really just praying that their black employees don't share their experiences over the last several years on social media. But I think the perfect example of why there's uh, protests right now could be illustrated by something that I keep seeing out in the, um, in the protests from, you know, the comfort of my couch and from what I've heard from people that are there. There's a thing that's happening where as police approach a group of protesters towards the end of the night, uh, black protesters are calling for a white shield and white people are running between the police officers and uh, the group of black people. And it's working. Mm. It's like a force field. Now, it doesn't work every time. And there's we got to be careful with what we see and what we read because we're getting little isolated incidents in a, in a great fabric of a, of a situation that's very dynamic and has a lot of different versions. Right. But... I keep seeing on Twitter, and I've seen some video of it on Instagram and Twitter, where cops are moving in, and the white the white boys and the white girls move in and get between the police officers and the black protesters, and the situation is slightly diffused, and it almost serves as a force field. And if there's never been an easier way to explain why people should be out in the streets right now, I think that that's about as clear as it gets. That's the punchline, Gavin. That's the joke that we've all been telling each other after we look over our shoulders for the last, for our whole life as a member of white culture is um, is how well because you're white you got away with it or you know you better be careful you're black and we all kind of titter titter under our breath and sometimes in mixed race groups you make these jokes because you're comfortable with each other and you recognize the reality of the situation you make light of it because it's easier to do that than, than to cry mm-hmm. but like that's that's America. Yeah. And it's bullshit. Yeah. And it's time to move on. Yeah. It's time to move. It's time to evolve. Yeah. Once in this country's, this, our generation, it's time to evolve. These people need to die out. They need to shut up and they need to just go away. Yeah. And okay. I'll tell you what, JJ. And the thing is, and the, I, I've seen, uh, again, it's, it's been such a brief two, not even two weeks yet, but 
the, what I like that we're doing is we're we're now attacking silent white people. And, and again, I've been silent at different points in my life too. I'm not I'm not immune to criticism, but it's the silence that is the enemy of progress because there's going to be people, like you said, who are going to be arrogantly and right now incredibly empowered to be incredibly hateful, okay, publicly. And when, when the majority of people don't say anything, it gives license to the fascism. It gives license to the hate. So to your point, the way to move on without them is for people to speak up, ostracize that viewpoint out loud instead of in your head, and then to move on with the people who want to move on together with progress. And again, easy to say, hard to do, but if you're being silent right now, you are a part of the problem. And it's also, it's a delicate, it's a very delicate balance. As, as, a, as a white man who's been welcomed into some lives over the years of, of black friends and, and black culture, and like, I'm well aware of the fact that it seems like every, um, every movie that was made with regarding blacks for, you know, most of my life had a white hero come in at the end, um, the Brad Pitt character and, you know, nine years a slave. It's like, you know, the virtue signaling, I'm very sensitive to that. Um, I, I don't, I don't really want to come off as inauthentic and as though I'm piling on to a, a movement. I feel like my life is spoken for itself in the, in the friendships that I have and the understanding that I have of what I don't understand. Um, the, but when the door closes and it's, it's all the white boys kicking it around, that's where, that's where the silence can really, you know, keep allowing the, 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 the level of like, you know, bitterness and, uh, the joking to continue a culture. And that's where it's like become really important to be like, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that right. at all. Right. And when you're confronted with like a true racist, which happens more than, you know, more than you'd ever think really, especially if you're in some liberal hotspot, um, to like, to say like, that's unacceptable and to confront them in a way that maybe even might be constructive or just to be like, I have no interest in hearing any talk like that at all. Right. I don't find that acceptable. If you keep it up, then I'm going to report you to our management or HR or whatever, you know? Correct. We can't be having that as part of the public discourse. And the GD president has been pushing it into our living rooms and militarizing and weaponizing our conversations against each other. since the moment, He opened up his little Twitter machine, and we've always had these divisions. The KGB has known it forever, that if you want to break America apart, you exploit the the, the divisions and the old painful history between the blacks and the whites. We're like the Sunnis and the Shiites, man. The shit goes back a long time, and it's like, it's bad. Like, it's bad, bad, bad. And it never got healed, and never got addressed, and it's just become a little more, like, the economics of everything and the shift of populations within the cities and everything have allowed people to just kind of like keep on keeping on. And up until recently, when we have to watch videos of men and women being executed in the streets for, for, you know, very minor, um, suspicions of crimes aren't even necessarily accurate or true or, or, you know, then it's like, like, 
now we can't. It's not just something where you're like, well, you know, that I I believe it, but you know, I don't know. There's something visceral about seeing the video that. Well, yeah. Well, let's over let's, let's over let's oversimplify it with another example, and I, I, I let's talk about domestic um, domestic violence, right? Um, pro sports leagues, notably the NFL. I'm not even going to use any names right now because I don't really want to bring anything else into it. But you know, it wasn't until a certain player was seen punching his fiance out in an elevator and dragging her down a hallway that that Roger Goodell and others were compelled by public by public demand to issue a, pu- a truly punitive action and reaction and punishment for assaulting a, a female, a domestic partner. And if you think yeah. about how many people get passes for that because it wasn't caught on tape. And there's something about seeing a moving picture that, that, the, hu- that the human psyche understands better than hearsay or an article or a still picture or, or a story from a friend and because it never goes away. Every time you see the moment, you feel like you did the first time you saw it, which is this right. is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And if it's a still picture or if it's a story or the news cycle moves on, then your mind can forget about it and you can normalize it. You can desensitize to it. But like if it's a video and if the videos keep coming and coming and coming and coming, there's something about human beings seeing something that is different. And, and and again, maybe technology is finally caught up to where progress needs to go. And now we can, we can collectively realize that silence is not okay because you keep seeing these videos and saying, Oh my God, how can I be okay with this? And me saying nothing equals me being okay with it, even if it doesn't, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. We can go on about this for days. And, and I do think we need to continue to talk about it every day. As I said, at the beginning of the show, I mean, Really easy to post, really easy to post right now. Really hard to make commitments to, to you know, address systemic injustice and racism every day. Uh, I will say what I said at the beginning. Uh, I will say it much more quickly, but vote and encourage other people to vote if they're eligible. Advocate for anti-racist policies by reaching out to your elected representatives. Educate yourself and try to educate others on systemic racism. Donate to anti-racist organizations, and if you can't, signal boost so other people who can will find out about those anti-racist organizations. And finally, check in on your loved ones or people you know who could be adversely impacted by racially charged attacks and systemic oppression and racism. I, I, it's, you can do one of those things every day. You literally can do one of those things every day. We're really at the top of the, uh, the roller coaster car has been clicking skyward for a few months now. And... Um, just keep going up and we don't really know how fast we're going to go on the way down and where we're going to end up. Yep. But it's really starting to feel like we're, we're reaching the crest of the track and, um, we don't know where we're going to go from here. And dude, we've got maybe a puncher's chance of it actually turning out better than it was before. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful for a shred of hope because Economically, the chips continue to fall. I don't care what the stock market says; it's delusional. But um, socially, maybe something good will come out of this. Right. So, really quickly, just to make make it known, so Jeremy didn't post any food picks last week relative to all this, and, and that's why I think it was a good way to end the week with, you know, let's talk about what's really important here. Um, 
you know, we can aspire, hopefully, JJ, to start seeing some more of your work on Man Cook Good moving forward. But I, I think it was a, you know, and you put out a, you put out a story about it, you know, this week. You know, you, yes, you are okay, and and no, it's you know, no, this week wasn't a good week to share food food picks, and uh, you know, yeah. I, commend, I commend you for sharing that with your with your followers. I got a few I got a few messages from some people I interact with uh, more regularly than others um, checking in on us because they know we're in Los Angeles and I'm sure the news outside of LA is just all burning buildings and uh, chaos which it is not for the record um, and um, I realized I had I, it wasn't even so much a conscious decision as much as I, I made some dinners and snapped a couple photos of it but just never put it on Instagram because it just feels really trivial. And, um, and I, I just felt, um, really, um, inappropriate to be talking or about something as small as what I was making for dinner that night. Um, I think social media and, uh, our conversations should, should be talking about what we're dealing with right now. And, um, I just kind of shut it off. And then after I got those messages, I, I thought I'd just post out that little story. And it's, again, it's a balancing act. I don't want to be, I don't want to make this about me. And I don't want a virtue signal. Um, I just felt like I had something I could say that uh, would explain my quiet and also um, make sure that people knew where I stood on this uh, because I don't want to be accused of like you know being quiet when uh everybody needed to say something so yeah i'll, I'll be posting some stuff i'm not sure when but uh, i'm still cooking so maybe uh what will end up with this little backlog of some content that will come out when things are a little more appropriate but i don't know man there's like a million people expected in dc today i know that uh the president fled to maine in search of their one electoral vote which is because they split the vote up there right so um, you know, God, I really hope this this Republican Party just gets trounced at the election. I hope that we get some free elections in our future, and um, I hope that I can't wait to one day talk about this as something that happened instead of something that is happening. I guess I'll just leave it like that. Yeah, well, well said, Jeremy, my buddy from the car. Good to have him in the car again. Um, glad you got a little shred of normalcy uh, today, this morning with some with some people. And uh, I will talk to you soon, but live from the uh, Subaru Sound booth, it's JJ from Man Cook Good, Filibuster Freestyle. Thanks for being on, Jeremy. Thank you.